Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Gardenmore Presbyterian Church. Keep up to date on our website, gardenmorechurch.org, or search for us on Facebook. Well, a number of weeks ago, we were, we were considering uh, the life of Joseph, and we were in chapter 39. Uh, we were considering how he was in charge of the household of Potiphar, uh, he having been sold into slavery, bought by this uh, Egyptian uh, man of, of military influence. And when we noted how, how Joseph had gone from being sold into uh, to the, uh, the caravan of, of travelers and, and being taken to Egypt and having to endure the indignity of being sold as a slave in a market, we realized God was with him and placed him very strategically in the house of this man, Potiphar. But at the end of that little section, when we considered it, right at at the end of verse 6 in chapter 39, that verse ends, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And that's more than just a description of him physically. It's a lead-in to what happens as a result of that being well-built and handsome when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and how Joseph then ended up in jail when he refused to give in to that particular temptation. If you go to the end of chapter 39 uh, and, and look at those last few verses, it's, it's another introduction. It's another setting of the scene for what happens in chapter 40. Chapter 39, remember Joseph is, had been imprisoned, imprisoned not for anything wrong he'd done, but actually for something right that he'd done. Well, there's a similar kind of lead-in in terms of what happens in the next stage of Joseph's life. He's languishing in jail, but two things in those few verses at the end are clear to see. Verse 21 says, the Lord was with him didn't matter whether he was in the palace or the prison. He was able to experience the presence of God no matter where he was because he was a child of God. And verses 21 to 23 of chapter 39, the prison warden observed something in Joseph that won his admiration. Because Joseph, again, whether it was palace or prison, was able to live in such a way before others that they observed and noticed his integrity and his character, and he was eventually given a position in the prison of responsibility and trust, chapter 40, verse 4, where he had a certain oversight of new prisoners as he came into jail. Before we go on to to really the, the, the content of chapter 40, Don't let's miss the application of those last few verses of chapter 39. No matter where we are, no matter where we might find ourselves, God never, ever, ever leaves us. He never forsakes us. And he never abandons us. And he never rejects his adopted sons and daughters. And remember, whether we're in the palace or the prison, the pulpit or the pew, the boardroom or the factory floor, the the playground or the gym, the street or the shop, 
wherever we spend time and have occasion to make who we are plain to see, remember that our witness should be such that we commend the Lord. We witness faithfully to everyone with integrity and with honesty of the God who has loved us with an everlasting love in Christ and who holds us every day in his hands. So on now into chapter 40, bearing that in mind as a lead-in, how despite being in jail, God was blessing Joseph and making him a blessing to others. Three things to see. First of all, we have an opportunity seized. An opportunity seized. Now, given the way in which Joseph had been treated by others up to this point in his life, how easy it would have been for him to become bitter, uh, resentful, and to isolate himself from other people. Because every time he got himself around other people, he seemed to get himself into trouble that he was not the cause of. But he doesn't do that. Instead, we see Joseph move towards people. And because he moves towards people, this cupbearer and this baker, he is therefore able to make the most of the particular situation he finds himself in. And he, and he attends, verse 4, this cupbearer, this baker. He begins to form relationships with them. And so he's able, when the opportunity comes, to seize that moment and to be an influence and a witness for the Lord. And one morning he sees these two men's faces and they're downcast. And he has the courage. Did you notice, first of all, to ask them how they were? And then secondly, to steer the conversation towards God. And had Joseph not done that, not seized that opportunity when it presented itself, we wouldn't be reading about these dreams and how the Lord used them in his timing to eventually open up the way for Joseph to become the prime minister of Egypt. Now, maybe we're getting a wee bit ahead of ourselves here. I'm conscious of that. But it's also worth remembering because here we are prior to that and here's a little tile being set in place in the mosaic by the Lord himself in the life of Joseph but also in God's very plan of salvation. There's nothing insignificant here. There's nothing accidental here. God is accomplishing all things according to the purpose of his will. And in the same way, there's nothing accidental or insignificant about anything that happens to any of us. But we still, like Joseph, need to be courageous. And we still need to see that it's our responsibility to seize those opportunities. It's why we form relationships with people. It's why we get to know them, why we befriend them. So that at an opportune time, we'll be there to be a witness for the Lord. We need to be hospitable, open our homes to people, care for others, 
Invite them in. Move towards them. Be concerned for the friends that we have and the friends that we make. Do you have an open eye? Do you notice when people are downcast, like Joseph did here? Are you in any way aware of the problems that that people go through in their lives? Is there a sensitivity to the worries and the concerns and the anxieties and the fears of others, a perception of their problems and predicaments? And without being nosy, but being caring, could you ask them to tell you about it? Could you offer yourself to be of help to them in whatever way you can? Because very often it's the, it's the question, it's the word of concern, it's the offer of comfort or the offer of care that can be the first significant step in someone coming to trust in Jesus. And then Joseph was able to direct the conversation in a Godward way. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you, you know, what's wrong? Uh, uh, what is it that's happened? And, and these two men tell their dreams. And then he, he doesn't say to them, oh, don't worry about it, it's just a couple of dreams. He spoke to them about the Lord. He told them of God's power and God's unique capacity to interpret the dreams that people have. In other words, for him in these circumstances, absolutely unashamed to gently testify to his belief and his faith in the Lord. Do you know, at some point in our testimony as the people of God, we've encountered someone like Joseph. Maybe it was someone at a meeting, preaching a sermon. Maybe it was someone sitting beside you in conversation. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend or a work colleague. But someone, some person testified to us about their faith and their trust in God and encouraged us to do the same. Someone witnessed to us. Someone told us about our sin and someone told us about our need of forgiveness through Christ. And because they did that, we came to put our faith and our trust in the Lord. Folks, that work needs to carry on. And it's all of our work to do as the people of God. If we're going to see people one for Christ, if we're going to see them changed for eternity, then we need to be the ones who seize the opportunities that God brings our way. Will you do that? Will you pray for that? Will you look for that? Will you, be, will you have that eye open uh, for people around you so that gently you can be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ? Firstly, that's an opportunity seized. Secondly, two dreams interpreted. Uh, there are jokes, uh, I'm sure you know a few, uh, that, that begin with the words, well, do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? Uh, uh, I, I came across one that goes like this. Uh, a man goes in to see his doctor 
and, and the doctor says to the man, do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? Uh, the man says, well, we'll start with the good news. And the doctor says to him, the good news is you've only two weeks to live. And the man looks a bit shocked and horrified and he says, well, if that's the good news, what's the bad news? And the doctor says, well, I got that news a fortnight ago. That's why I don't tell jokes. I'm really bad jokes and really even worse uh, in their telling. Well, this, look what, what happens here in chapter 40. It really isn't a joke. Joseph had good news and he had bad news to tell. And he had the courage to say with honesty and in all truth, the meaning of the dreams that these two men have. It's always nice to be the bearer of good news. Uh, we see it every week on, on the Great British Bake Off. Somebody tells the good news and somebody else tells the bad news. Always good to be the bearer of good news. Nobody takes umbrage at a pleasant report. Different when it's bad news. Indeed, it can be positively dangerous in some circumstances to be the person charged with having to do it. But do it we must if we're going to be faithful to God in the discharge of our responsibility. It must be done in the proclamation of the gospel. And sadly and unfortunately there are people, and let me say there are ministers in particular, who do not do it. One of the commentators I, I read in preparation for this sermon had this little sentence said, preachers will preach a sermon on what happens to the cupbearer, but they'll not preach a sermon on what happens to the beggar. Because they're afraid to tell people that they're under the judgment of God. Afraid to say that God has appointed a day of his judgment that God has made Christ the one mediator between God and man, afraid to say that unless people turn to him in repentance and faith, they're facing an eternity in hell. But if we're going to be faithful in our witness, whether from pulpit or pew, that's the whole counsel of God from his word. And we've got to be honest with people, even if that means misunderstanding or offense being taken. Rather that, than be unfaithful to God and pretend that these things are of no consequence whatsoever. And hopefully it will not be misunderstanding and offense. If we're witnessing the way that we should and we're forming relationships with people and they know us and they love us and we know them and, they love, and we love them too, God willing, it will not be misunderstanding and offense. God willing, it will result in understanding and faith. For the same reason that Jesus spoke about these things. He didn't speak about hell and death and judgment to put people off. It was to be real with them. It was to be honest with them. Absolutely up front so that they would turn to him in trust and in faith. Joseph was not afraid to speak about the imminent death of the baker. The beggar was told that his dream meant that in three days he'd be killed by the Pharaoh. It's hard to imagine how the beggar spent those three days. Would he, did, he, did he not get a wink of sleep? 
Was his mind consumed by what was ahead, what was about to happen to him? Let me ask you, who here is in a different position from the beggar? Is it not true that every single one of us here today is going to die? You don't need to be an inmate in death row. You don't need to be told by an oncologist that your condition is inoperable to be living under a death sentence. We're all under a death sentence, every single one of us. The only difference between the inmate and the patient and each of every one of us is this. They might have an idea when and we don't. That's the only difference. Surely all the more reason then, if we don't know the when, to be prepared for it now while the opportunity is there. If you had 72 hours to prepare for your death, what would you do? I trust that if you know Christ already, you'd do your best to share the good news of how eternal life can be for others. But if you don't yet know Christ and you only had 72 hours to live, am I wrong to think that that would be the time whenever you turn to Christ and put your faith in what he's done on the cross? If I'm not wrong about that, then let me ask the follow-up question. If that's what I think you'd do then, what's keeping you from doing it now? We need to be ready. That's one of the messages, the urgency of the gospel that comes through in God's word. Prepared in the present to meet God whenever that will be in the future. That's why we have those little verses. Lights that that are switched on, that, that illuminate the very predicament that we find ourselves in under under a death sentence. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Jesus said, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You can say that And you can mean that if you belong to Jesus Christ. You can't if you don't. So what will it be? Live with fingers crossed that you'll get an opportunity close to when your time comes? Or live in the assurance that it doesn't matter when I'm going to be ready. Because the former's a gamble and the latter's a certainty. And I don't know about you, but I know which one 
I'd rather have. An opportunity seized to dreams interpreted. And then finally, this request forgotten. For the baker, the bleak outlook of his destiny came to pass. He was killed uh, at, at Pharaoh's birthday bash three days later. The dream of the cupbearer was similarly fulfilled, and in three days he was restored to his former position. But whether in, in the excitement of his release, or, or, or the, the employment that he just entered into, or, or simply the passage of time, Joseph's request is met with the silence of the fact that, verse 23, the chief cupbearer simply forgot him. Joseph's own waking dreams unfulfilled. By someone, by someone who let him down badly. Well, you don't need me to tell you that it's not uncommon for any of us to be wounded by broken promises and empty words that people that we hope would simply say what they mean and mean what they say, and they didn't do it. But how do we deal with that? How do we? deal with the disappointment of unfulfilled hopes? How do we cope with people flat out letting us down? Well, let me suggest two things from this. First of all, we need to trust in the Lord to work his purposes out in our lives. You see, for Joseph, the Lord knew that the time wasn't right for the cupbearer to ask for Joseph's release. Because actually, two years were to pass before Pharaoh had his dream. And it was then that the cupbearer remembered what he forgot. So, so God's timing for us might not be our timing for ourselves. And therefore, we need to trust him in the disappointments, in the failures of others, uh, even when we're badly let down. We need to have the confidence that our God knows what's best for us as his children. And then secondly, we need to be patient when we feel we've been let down or overlooked or bypassed or forgotten. Indeed, it's only when we have cause to wait can the fruit of the Spirit patience be developed in our lives. Let me ask, have you, ever, have you ever learned patience whenever you've been instantly answered? Almost certainly not. It's only whenever one month passes into two, or two months passes into four, or four months passes into eight, or in the case of Joseph, only a few days stretches out into two years. It's only there that patience is learned and spiritual character formed and ultimately God is glorified. The cupbearer might have forgotten about Joseph, but God most certainly had not. And he never for one second or one moment, one instant, forgets about every single one of his people. Will you remember that? Will you remember that God always remembers and never forgets? 
Will you remember it the next time when someone forgets something? Or when you're let down by someone? Or when they disappoint you? Will you remember that God never lets you down? Will you remember that God never forgets? And he never ignores? And he never overlooks? And he always remembers? And actually, we're going to see that, God willing, in Joseph's life uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Because we see him rise from the dungeon to become, in God's time, the man who's chosen to be second in line to Pharaoh. Genesis 40, an opportunity seized. Two dreams interpreted. A request forgotten. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would be food, nourishment, and sustenance for our lives and our souls. And that this day, as we've turned to this passage, as we've sought to be faithful in its proclamation and understanding, and as the Spirit of the Lord moves in our midst today, so may this be that which strengthens us blesses us, encourages us, rebukes us, trains us in righteousness, that we might be the men and the women and the young people and the children of the living Lord God. We ask this for his sake. Amen. Our final hymn is...